Can you believe it's already been 17, 17 weeks we've been in this series of what Jesus says to us in this most famous of his messages, the Sermon on the Mount. And I'm so excited for this Sunday's portion because in this, in this message, Jesus talks about money. Oh, this is going to be fun. I can't seem to get my... No, there we go. Okay, thank you. Jesus speaks not really about money, but how we view it, our attitude toward the material things of this world. And I want to I get right into it in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. These are familiar um, words to all of us, I'm sure. Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures here on earth. Where moth, how many of you have moths in you? Moths, they, they annoy me. They, they, I, all right, too much information. I, I sometimes have to get up in the middle of the night. All right. There were moths in there, but I'm not going to finish that. <laughs> Moth, don't lay up for yourselves treasures here on earth where moths and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. Have you ever had something stolen from you? Something that you really cherished, a, a valuable possession that you lost because someone else took it. Maybe you know who took it. Maybe you never found out who took it. Maybe you never recovered it. When you value something so much that you cannot bear to lose it, that thing has some power over you, doesn't it? Somebody, uh, somebody told me, you should never gamble more than you can afford to lose. Because you're going to lose it. And I said, when I heard that, I thought, I can't really afford to lose anything, so I guess I better never gamble. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. Rather, that's... That's what the word but here means. Rather, instead, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where there are no thieves who will break in and steal. And that makes good sense, right? But, but it leaves me asking the question, so how do I lay up treasures in heaven? Can I open an account? Can I do it online? Jesus continues, for where, this is a summary statement, for where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. And then he continues with this in verse 22 and 23. The eye, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad... 
Your whole body will be full of darkness. And if then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? And then he finishes with this familiar statement. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And then he makes it very clear what he's talking about. You cannot serve both God and money. These are familiar words to us, right? What do I have to say to you this morning that might be helpful? Might be maybe not different, just a different way of looking at it? It occurs to me that there's a verse in there. The eye is the lamp of the body. The eye, what is that statement doing here? It doesn't, it doesn't seem to fit with the, everything around it. If you leave verses 22 and 23 out, if you leave it out, this still makes perfect sense. Let me read it again without verses 22 and 23. Now, before... before before you start composing your angry message to the elders saying, what is the pastor doing leaving verses out of the Bible? <laughs> don't hit send just yet, okay? Go ahead and write it if you want to, but just don't hit send just yet. Here it is again without those two verses. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Makes perfect sense, doesn't it? There's a very clear point about my priorities I should not get caught up in the things of the world. I should not become entangled in worldly things. I should not let my desire for worldly things distract me from what is really important. I should always put God first in everything, and especially put God before the pursuit of material things in this world, because pursuing material things can become idolatry. And that will rob God of my affection and my devotion and my labor and my effort. And when I take something that is God's away from him, then God says, I am a jealous God. You have taken what is rightfully mine and you have taken it from me and given it elsewhere. I don't like that. Do not take something that belongs to God and direct it anywhere else. God will not be pleased when you take what is his and redistribute it. That's very clear. But why then does Jesus put this thing in about the healthy eye or the bad eye? Let's consider this again. The eye is the lamp of the body. And if your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And if then the light within you is darkness, 
How great is that darkness? Why does Jesus talk about the eye and what it sees? How do you see this world and everything in it? The people, the places, the things that are in the world. How do we see them? We all, we all can visually see the same things, but we can come to different conclusions about what we see, right? And that's what Jesus is talking about. With what lenses do you look at this world and the things that are in it? I want to find some help by looking at another thing that Jesus said. This comes from Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20 uh, is the parable that Jesus teaches. We call it the parable of the laborers in the vineyard. It's in Matthew 20, and I want to encourage you to look that up and, and read through it later today or throughout this week, like, like uh, some of you took the homework assignment to read through Isaiah 58 over this last week, and you, and you thought about what Jesus had to, well, what God had to say through the prophet Isaiah about our fasting, our practice of fasting. Thank you for doing that assignment. Uh, you get a check plus. And if you didn't do the assignment, um, turn it in late. You can still get a check. The plus is for those who did it on time, but you can still get a check. This week's assignment is consider the parable of the laborers in the vineyard in Matthew chapter 20. I'm just going to summarize the parable, which is probably familiar to many of you. I'm just going to summarize it and then take a close look at the conclusion where Jesus makes the point of the parable. So uh, in the parable, Jesus says there was a landowner who went into the village early in the morning and he hired some people who were looking for day laborers. Day day laborers. They they didn't have regular jobs, but they wanted to work. They were available to work. And during the harvest time, uh, landowners would go into the villages and they would find there, probably in the village square, maybe around the well or wherever, they would find people that are available to work. So in the story, the landowner goes in first thing in the morning and he hires the people that are there. He hires, it sounds like he hires everybody that is there. And he says, come on out to my vineyard. I've, I'm ready for harvest. I've got a day's work and I will pay you a denarius for your day's wage. Work today, I'll pay you at the end of the day. That's the arrangement for day laborers. And so um, these men go out to the vineyard and they start right in working. He agrees with them on what they will earn. Uh, he, He recognizes that he has more work to be done than his workers can finish. And so In the middle of the morning, let's say his first trip into town to hire people was, let's just say, 6 a.m., right around sunup, first light. Middle of the morning, 9 o'clock in the morning, he goes back into town. And here are some guys who slept in, and they missed the first call for work, but they're still hanging around hoping. And uh, the landowner says, yeah, go on out to my field. I've got plenty of work. You go too. And so they go out and they get to work. 
and then the landowner does it again at noontime. He goes back into the village, finds some guys who maybe had um, a little bit too, too strong of a celebration the night before, and they didn't get up even by the middle of the morning. But by noon, they're hungry and broke. Isn't that how it works? Those of you who know. And so they're thinking, ah, it's already the middle of the day, but maybe. And so he finds some more people at the middle of the day who are available and willing to work. And he says, go on out. You know where my, my fields are. Go on out there and join the people that are already working. And then he does it again in this parable. He does it again in the middle of the afternoon. Let's call it three o'clock in the afternoon. And there's still some, I don't know what their story is. I was making up all the other stories anyway. I just ran out of ideas. (laughs) And one last time in the parable, he hires some more guys at 5 o'clock in the afternoon and sends them out. We got about an hour left to work. You go on out and I'll pay you for the work that you do. And so all through the day, the people who, who started work at five minutes after six in the morning are seeing more people coming in and they're probably happy because they realize there's a lot of work here. We're never going to get it all done, but they're happy to see reinforcements coming. And then in the parable, at the end of the day, the, the landowner calls everybody together and he has a sack of coins and he's going to pay everybody for their labor And he says, we'll start with the last people in. The last people who worked an hour or less, we're going to pay them first and send them on their way. And in this parable, the landowner pays the guy who worked one hour a denarius. And everybody's watching. Now, each successive laborer gets paid a denarius and the people who worked all day maybe this is how my imagination works doesn't say it in the text but I'm imagining that the guys who worked from six in the morning are thinking wow if that guy who worked one hour gets here he comes That's Cinco. That's grandson number five to Cinco. (laughs) Incidentally, I'm going to have all five of them together today. That's awesome. They're on their way. The Maryland kids are on their way. Here he comes. If you're watching on Facebook, you can't see him yet. He hasn't entered into the camera view, but he's coming. He's walking now. The guys who worked all day, or maybe they're thinking, oh my goodness, he's going to pay us 12 denarii if he paid a denarius for one hour of labor, and we've been here all day, 12 hours, that's one, two, three, 12 denarii, that's a fortune. Maybe that was what their imagination did, that's what my imagination did. Now, now yours did too, right? And when he worked all the way through paying all of his employees, he paid 
the last people, the first people in, he paid them one denarius. And they were furious. What are you doing? You paid that guy a denarius, and he only worked an hour, and he was barely working. We worked all day. We worked through the heat of the day. We've been here working hard all day long. And you only give us a denarius? What are you thinking, sir? This isn't fair. How many of you have ever thought, this isn't fair about anything? This is not fair. But where do you find that in the Bible, by the way? Fair. What's fair? I don't know. That's another part of your assignment. Look up everything the Bible says about things are supposed to be fair. It's a trick question. Those who worked all day were unhappy that they were only paid one day's wage. The other people who worked a part of the day were paid the same amount. Now, this message isn't about this parable. If it was, I could preach for another hour about what this parable really means, okay? Think about the, the Pharisees and the thief on the cross. Just think about that when you're thinking about it. But the landowner responded to their grumbling. And this is, what I want to, this is what I want to call your attention to. He replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? This is what we agreed when you came to work for me. I told you what I would pay you, and you agreed to work for that amount. And he says, take what belongs to you. Here it is. Take your pay. Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. And then he says, am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? Now, I want to look at that verse again. This is the alternate reading. This is the alternate translation of that phrase. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or is your eye bad because I am good? Now, there might be one of you out there who's holding a King James version of the Bible in your hands. And if you are, and if you're following along, this is what the authorized version King James Version is called the Authorized Version, the AV, authorized by King James. Is it, not lawful, is it not lawful for me to do what I will with my own? Is thine eye evil because I am good? In other words, the point of the story is these men looked at the wealthy, generous landowner through a bad eye. And they saw what they saw what you and I saw, the generous landowner generously giving to the person who worked a little bit the same reward as the person who labored the full day. 
What we should see is the kindness and charity and generosity of the landowner. But what these people see is, he is cheating me. Because he gave to that person the same thing that he gave to me, and I did way more. They saw the same thing, but their eye told them something different. And I think that this this parable and how Jesus uses the same idea of a bad eye seeing a good thing and interpreting it as evil helps me to understand why he put that thing in this statement about where my treasure is and my attitude and my relationship with material things, the things of the world. How do you see it? What kind of eye do you have? If you are a person who has good eyes, you will see what is good. You will see what is, and you will process it for good. You will interpret what you see in the best possible light. You will look at the people around you, and instead of figuring out what it is about them you don't like, you will focus on the things about them that you do admire. Paul says, whatsoever things are good, whatsoever things are, of, are praiseworthy, whatsoever things are of good reputation, these are the things that you should be thinking about. And don't let any corrupt communication come out of your mouth, by the way, so that what you say builds the people around you up. Have a good eye and choose to see what you see and see what the good is. There's this uh, old, I say old, to you, to you it's probably an old song, looking through his eyes. Let me see this world as though I was looking through your eyes, dear Lord. A world of men who don't understand, but a world for which you died The the song goes on. Let me kneel with you in the garden. And blur my eyes with tears of agony. For if once I could see this world the way you see it. I just know. I would serve you more faithfully. If you're a person with an evil eye, have you gotten the evil eye? Have you gotten that look? <laughs> you, you know it when you see it, right? The other, the other day I was talking to the family and I said something and I caught, I looked, glanced over at Kelly and she was giving me that, <laughs> she was giving me that eye. I looked away. I did not want that eye. (laughs) Consider the wonderful illustration that we have in the beloved 
Christmas story by Charles Dickens, A Christmas Carol. The main, the main character, the protagonist. You all know the story. You, you've read it. You've seen versions of it in TV and, and in the movies. Pastor John likes the George C. Scott version the best. Ebenezer Scrooge. You know the story. He sees everything through the eye of material cost. He doesn't want Bob Cratchit to add an extra piece of coal to the coal-fired stove to warm the office because he's pinching the pennies and doesn't... He'd rather put an extra scarf on than put an extra piece of coal on the fire. He's not even generous with himself. He's got an evil eye, right? He says, he makes a comment about the poor. Aren't, don't we have enough? His nephew is taking up a collection to help the poor. And he says, don't we have any workhouses for them? They're all full. Oh. Well, better that they die and reduce the excess population. Remember that line? Better that they die and reduce the excess population. He's got an evil eye. You all agree, right? But through a series of events, he gets a new set of lenses, doesn't he? Through, through supernatural visitors who help remind him of how things were and help him to see more clearly how things are, and give him an, an idea of what things might be if he continues the way he's going. He gets a new eye. And at the end of that wonderful story, he is suddenly transformed. He's not the same person he used to be. He traded in his bad eye for good. That's what Jesus can do for you. He can give you that supernatural experience that changes your perspective and helps you to see what you see in a different light. If the light within you in, is darkness, Jesus says, how great is that darkness? Some of you in the room can testify. If we pass the microphone around, you could, you could tell us your story and you could tell us how dark was the light within you until Jesus Christ gave you new lenses. I could tell you my story. I have told you my story. I am telling you some of my story. If you don't have the right lenses... You will not see things in the right light. So Jesus is talking about how we see the things of this world, the material things of this world, and where our value is placed. If we measure our value by the amount of things that we have stored up. If we evaluate the success of our lives 
on the basis of our quarterly IRA statements or 401k statements or your retirement account or your net worth. Isn't it interesting? We talk about a person's net worth. Just this morning I was listening to a a song first recorded by Wayne Watson more recently recorded by the Booth Brothers. Some of, some of you don't know either Wayne Watson or the Booth Brothers. That's okay. The song is a story about an old violin that's being auctioned off at an estate sale. It's an old violin. It's, all, it's in a battered case. It's covered in dust. It's the last thing left to be sold. And the auctioneer says, Who'll give me a dollar? For this old violin. If we, if we sell this last thing, the auction will be over. We can all go home and we, can, and we can take the valuable things we took along with us. Let's just get rid of this old piece of garbage. One dollar, two dollars, who give me three? And then in the middle of the song, the song, the auction stops. And an old man stands up and walks forward and picks up the violin and takes the bow out of the case and tightens it. And as the song says, he plays out a melody, sweet and pure. Something that rhymes with, good as the angels sing. So it wasn't pure. It was something else that rhymes with sing. (laughs) Whatever that was. And then the song says, what made the difference? Because now the auctioneer holds it up again, and he says, one... 1000 2000 who will give me and suddenly the value of the violin is astronomically increased and the people cry out what made the change we don't understand and the auctioneer stops and he says with a smile you know the song what does he say it was the touch of the master's hand the touch of the master's hand gives value and and helps others to see with a good eye what was there all along. So what kind of an eye do you have? Do you need an eye exam? Do you need a new prescription? Do you need some new lenses? Are there cataracts that are obscuring your ability to see what is valuable and what isn't? What is the most valuable thing in God's economy? Is it the number of zeros after the balance in my IRA statement? Is it uh, the, having the latest model of the most advanced technology electric car? Or the nicest that? or this, or the most expensive what's call it thing? Is that where we're assigning value? Or, as Jesus encourages us, put your treasure in heaven. You have all heard the story, you've all heard the phrase, you can't take it with you. You never see a hearse pulling a U-Haul. You've all heard that. I didn't make that up, okay? 
So some guy, some guy buys an old hearse, puts a trailer hitch on it, and, and puts, a, puts a U-Haul on it just to prove, you know, just the contrarian. The contrarian says, oh, yes, you have. You can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead, right? Have you heard that? You can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And how do you do that? Well, very, very practically, the most practically um, way, the most practical way I know to do that is uh, listen to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Do whatever he sets in front of you to do and love everybody you can. Love everybody you can. Now, I'm not talking about the, the romantic, you know, the, the ephemeral um, love, Valentine's Day, Cupid's hearts, that kind. I'm talking about the nitty-gritty, boots-on-the-ground kind of love that we are practicing here in this family. Love the person in front of you. And sometimes that means, loving you means, I'm going to forgive you. That's the loving thing to do. I'm going to stop holding on to this grudge that I have about you. I'm going to stop sneering behind my hand at you because of the way you're dressed, or because of this thing or that thing, or some other thing that I know about you, or I think I know about you, or some other thing that somebody said about you that sounded like, oh yeah, that's probably right. Loving you means I'm going to set that aside. I'm going to choose to forgive. I'm going to choose to refuse to be offended by you. Let me say that again. I'm going to choose to refuse to be offended by you. Say whatever you want to me. I choose to refuse not to be offended by you. That's what loving can look like. And that's how we lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven. And when I put it in that account, the market never crashes. The treasure I put, up, put aside in heaven is never devalued. It is never at risk. It is always accumulating interest. Paul says that each one of us builds on a foundation laid by Christ and the apostles. And when we stand before Christ at the judgment seat, each one of us will be rewarded for the things done while in the body. And some of us who have built on the foundation laid for us with precious stones and gold and silver, we will reap benefits. There are rewards associated with serving Jesus Christ faithfully. And some, some, Paul says, some who have built on that foundation with, with wood and hay and stubble, that 
that's going to be consumed. There won't be any reward because that person really focused on their treasure here on earth and didn't bother to send anything on ahead, didn't lay up any treasure in heaven. Paul says, they themselves will be saved, though as by fire, though as one who escapes through the fire. Now, there are probably some people in the room who have escaped a fire. I'm one of them. Our house burned down on a November night when I was in 10th grade. And we got out of our house with just the clothes on our backs. In my two younger sisters' cases, it was the pajamas and winter coats that we hastily threw on them and got out of the house and stood by the side of the road while we watched the house burn. I know what it means to escape though as by fire, standing on the side of the road with nothing but the clothes we were wearing and watching as all of our worldly goods went up in smoke, literally. But that's not where our treasure was. Our treasure had been sent ahead. And within hours, the church family who we were a part of reached out to us and arranged for us to have a place to stay, arranged for us to have some clothes to wear. That's where I got that beautiful green striped seersucker suit. Yeah. And within, within a week, we had an apartment, and within six months, we had a, a, a home to live in. We escaped, though, as by fire. We came through the fire with nothing. But our treasure wasn't in the house or the possessions that we lost. Our treasure was in heaven, and so our heavenly Father took care of our needs. And that's the promise that he has made to all of us. If you lay up in heaven the, the things that, if that's where you put your value, you'll never lose it. You'll never spend it all. I imagine that there are some people right now, maybe there's some people right here in this room or some people listening on, online who are right now drawing your retirement assets. And because of the way our economy is going, your retirement assets have suddenly gotten smaller. And you're starting to wonder, will they last for as long as I last? You're feeling the crush. I know some of you are thinking about that. The wonderful thing is this, when you put your value in heaven, the things of heaven, and put your faith in God, you will never know loss. You will never run out. You'll never have to eat ramen noodles. I quickly edited and changed what I was going to say there because I don't want to offend you either. <clears throat> Here's the question. What do your eyes see? 
Do you have a good eye? So that you see what's in front of you. And as you process, as you think about what you're seeing, you're seeing the hand of God in the circumstances around you. You're seeing the thumbprint of God on the people around you. You're seeing, here's a person that God loves. And I ought to love them too. How can I love them? How can I love them in a way that they will know that they are being loved? And as Jesus said, let your light shine before others so that they will see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. So how can I love the people in front of me in such a way that they know that the hand of God has just brushed them? If you could imagine yourself as the hand of God that he wants to use to brush up on the people in front of you with a communicating a message, hey, God sees you, God knows you, God loves you, and he wanted me to remind you of that. Yesterday I was at a baseball game and I was talking with one of the coaches uh, eight, eight and under, eight and under baseball players. I was talking with one of the coaches between innings, and he told me. I asked him how he was doing. It was a hot day, and uh, he had been out in the sun, and he looked a little tired. And I asked him, "How you doing?" And he said to me, "You know, uh, I just had cancer surgery." And I said, "Oh, really? I'm sorry." Are you, are you undergoing treatments? He said, no, they got it all. I don't have to have any treatments. I said, fantastic. And this is what he said to me. He didn't know me. He didn't know me at all. He didn't know what I'd do for work. He just calls me blue because I was umpiring the game. He, he, so he says to me, no, they got it all. I know there is a God. He said that to me. Here he is witnessing to me. He doesn't know me. I just smiled and I chuckled and I said, oh, I know, I work for him. (laughs) And that got us going into a conversation. And uh, here I am with an opportunity to talk to somebody I've never seen, I've never met. We're kind of adversaries because I'm an umpire and he's the coach and he wants me to make every call go in his favor. And I'm saying, I just want to get it right. And he says to me, I know there's a God. And I'm thinking, here we go again, God. You gave me another opportunity to connect. And, and now I'm God's ambassador, right? I am God's ambassador with a message of reconciliation. Be reconciled to God. And if I have a bad eye, if I have a bad eye and I see this person and I, and I see them through my bad lens, I'm not going to have any conversation with this guy. But if I can see this man the way God sees him, I can continue this conversation in a redemptive direction. And that's what I choose to do. And I hope that that's the choice that you will make too. When you see who God puts in front of you, And you begin to see through the lens that God has given you. That light that is within you. You are the light of the world. See things the way God wants you to see them. And say what God wants you to say. You don't have to wonder, "Uh, what will I say? Because Jesus made his disciples this promise. 
When you go out into the world, do not worry what you're going to say. In the moment, words will be given to you. This man yesterday said to me, I know there is a God. And I'm thinking about when the Apostle Paul in Athens stood there looking at the idols and the altars and he saw this one that had the inscription to the unknown God just in case we missed one. And he used that opportunity. Words were given to him in that moment. This God that you worship in ignorance, I want to tell you who he is and what he's done. Words will be given you If you have the right kind of eye, you will see things the way God intends for you to see them. Let's pray and ask God to give us clear lenses. Father, help us, I pray, to see things the way you want us to see them. Help us to see the people around us the way you see them. Not as adversaries, not as enemies, not as uh, combatants but as people for whom you died. People you love as much as you love me. People that you want to do something extraordinary for, the way you have done something extraordinary for me. And I don't want to be like that laborer who worked all day in the field and was begrudging that the person who came in at the end got the same reward. Father, that, uh, that idea is not about how much I get. It's about how many people are received into the kingdom of heaven. There's enough to go around for every one of us. Help us not to withhold your grace and mercy and compassion and generosity from anyone as if we were spending our own money. Because you have loved us lavishly and generously. And help us to be generous with your blessings. In Jesus' name. He became sin Who knew no sin That we might become His righteousness He humbled himself And carried the cross Love so amazing Love so
body the bread, his blood the wine, broken and poured out, all for love. The whole earth trembled and the veil was torn. Love so amazing. Love so amazing. Jesus Messiah. Name above all names. Blessed Redeemer. Teddy. He's going to grab my microphone. He's going he's gonna to have a TED talk here. Let, let's pray together. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for this day, this wonderful day so far. What has already happened and what is coming, we ask your blessing on each person here. Those who aren't able to stay, Father, um, let them go with your blessing. And those who are able to stay, Father, let's celebrate together your love and your blessing among us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.